Good morning, everyone. Good morning. As we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, we seek to receive it with joy-filled reverence and sober humility. The songs of the Word found in your bulletin prepares our hearts and minds to do that. Let's read it together. If you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver, and, and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, the text is Revelation 12, verses 1 and 2. Hear now the world, the word of the Lord from the book of Revelation. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Well, thank you, Logan. Um, we've been in uh, this Advent uh, season, we are looking at the star of Bethlehem as we learned last week as we explained to the kids in our children's service that this passage, Revelation 12, has a long history of interpretation which is understood to be a summary of the, the, the account of the, the, the uh, appearance of the constellations in the heavens at the time of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to look at particularly verse 2. And, and to do that, I want to, I want to begin by, um, I don't know how many of you have uh, been exposed to uh, you know, sporting uh, or athletic, especially, especially professional athletic events in which an athlete, usually a football player or maybe a basketball player, uh, at a certain crowning moment in their career, it could be the beginning of their career, sometimes it could be when they are, um, they've just gotten drafted, you know, to be, to, to, enter, to enter into a particular professional team. But it's in those moments of great celebration that these athletes who are you know, pretty much they're, they're huge, they're strong, they're tall, they're incredibly talented, they've worked um, you know, unceasingly to get where they are. And in that moment, that moment of, of sort of triumph, that moment of, of opportunity, that moment of vindication, what do they so often do? They give thanks. And who do they, who do they often thank? think they're mine. You see those moments where, where you have these, uh, these, these, again, these huge guys and they, they stop again. It could be right when they, and they're, they're rewarded for all their hard work or sacrifice and, they, and they, they look to their mom and they say, I would not be here today if it weren't for my mom. In fact, often when they receive their first professional paycheck, it often goes to whom? It often goes to their mom. They buy their mom a new clothes. They buy their mom a new car. They do whatever they can to make sure that their mother is taken care of. It's because the role of the mother is so central. And in this passage this morning, the passage that Logan read for us, we see that very thing. We see a, a mother who plays a central role. But it's just not just no, in a sense, ordinary mother. 
In fact, what's so beautiful about the scriptures is the way that they portray the role of a mother is absolutely central to the entire story of redemption. Right from Genesis chapter 3 onward, we know that it's through the seed of the woman that there will come triumph. And again and again and again, the moments of the Old Testament story, where there's a story of Abram and Sarah, where there's a story of the patriarchs, where there's a story right on through Exodus to a, 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 to a deliverer that would be given, that would, that would come in the person of Moses, all the way through to the story of, 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 of Samuel. We, have, we saw that in our call to worship, the story of Hannah, a barren woman, celebrating the fact that God has given her a child, not just any ordinary child, but a child for whom God will be acting and bringing great deliverance to his people. And of course, it's in Luke, in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 1 and 2, Luke himself uses the narrative of Hannah and Samuel as a way of speaking of the, of, of the coming of John the Baptist and ultimately the person of Jesus Christ. But it's this idea that a woman, specifically a woman who's expecting, is the story, is the sign of great promise. And it's here in Revelation chapter 12 that we see this picture in the heavens. And that's what I want to communicate again this morning. This idea that God is using, here he uses, he used the ancient night sky to communicate to the world, to the nations, the arrival of his son. Now, I really want to, this morning, I want to focus on verse 2 and review verse 1. But the thing that I want to, I want to communicate this morning is I can communicate in a single word. Life giving. The people of God are to be life giving. It has two connotations. Life giving means first that we are giving life to someone else. That's the that's heart, that's exactly the role of what a mother is, right, moms? You are giving life. You're bearing life, not only in the act of delivery, but from the, the years that follow on, you never stop being a mom, do you? You never stop thinking, worrying, wondering, working, wondering what you can do to, to better love and care for your children. And it's a picture, beautifully, of the church, as we're going to see here in a moment. But this notion of life-giving is not only the idea of giving life to others, but very importantly, you're giving your life away. And I wouldn't call it a zero-sum game, but those of you who are moms, you know that as you give, it is costly. As parents, we often, we don't, we, don't, we don't fully realize often what we're getting into, right, when we become parents. We don't realize, oh my goodness, this is, this is so costly. And yet, so often, most of the time, we're willing to do it, aren't we? Because of that love that he desires. So that notion of, of life-giving is not only the giving of life, but it's the giving away of your own life that is so central to the story of Christianity. So in Revelation chapter 12, we've seen here in verse, the first few words is a great sign appeared in heaven. And of course, in Greek, the word for sign, simeon, is also, can also be translated constellation. 
that here in the heavens, John is recounting what, what, what was seen in the night sky in the first century. A constellation appeared in the heavens. And, 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 and the, what, what is it, what's the picture of He describes it? A woman clothed with the sun. And of course, we, we know if you're familiar with any of the constellations, both ancient and modern, that the most, the most, one of the most prominent ones is that of Virgo. A woman who is understood by the ancient world to, from, from as far west as Spain to as far east as what would be modern day Iran, or what would then would have been Persia, um, the Medo Persian um, cultures. There was understood to be a woman in the skies, again, understood to be in various myths, a woman most likely who was a virgin, and often who was somehow mysteriously, magically expecting a child. And in and of itself, that wouldn't have raised any particular, any particular, it wouldn't have caught the Magi's attention. Except in this particular situation, as we read here, it says a woman was clothed with the sun, which means that Virgo was most likely in, in, the, in the east at the, at the time of the sun was just coming up, and you could see her and, um, as the sun was rising. And it says here that with the moon under her feet, now very rarely, this is very important, very rarely, as the sun was coming up, the moon would also be in a place where you could see her, see Virgo with the moon underneath it. And of course, in the ancient context, the moon has had a significance, had a significance of giving birth. And you can, as you can imagine why that would be. In Latin, the term moon is, is immense. These are the connection with the menstrual cycle. The cycle of the woman, the cycle of the moon, very similar. In fact, persons like Aristotle and other, uh, other quasi-medical uh, professionals of the ancient world, often they actually believe that the moon influenced or controlled various, various aspects of, of conception and, and childbirth. And so here we have this picture of, again, think of, you, think of yourself as a magi. You look into the east in the morning, the pre-dawn morning, you see the sun starting to come up, and you see, you see uh, Virgo, and you, under her you see the moon, realizing that, wait a minute, there's something going on here, a birth, uh, uh, a, a, uh, some sort of, uh, something's going to be happening that Virgo is, is, in a sense, expecting. And what's, what truly changes everything is when they begin to see a sign that they've never seen before. And most scholars think that what was called, what we call a star was known as the, what the Magi referred to, or in English what it's referred to as the star arising in the east, was, was most likely a comet. And so again, the Magi, they look into the, the eastern sky, they see Virgo, they see the sun, they see the sun rising, and they see the moon underneath and they behold a comet rising. And a comet, not, not, just, not, just, not just any sort of normal comet, a comet that had most likely had a very, very long tail. A tail that made it look almost like a sword. So they begin to wonder, what, what is going on here? What is in the ancient world, this is even more amazing, that we regularly, with the arrival of a comet, there was an association of a royal birth. In fact, there were several ancient uh, emperors, Roman emperors, whose birds were accompanied by some sort of meteor or some sort of comet. And it was always recognized as a sign of the heavens, giving this, this, this signal, this indication that someone great 
was being born. As we discussed last week, most likely these Babylonian magi would have been in, in contact with the Jews who were still living in Jerusalem and would have made the connection with Numbers 24 that speaks of the birth of a one who will reign with a mighty scepter. And so we have this picture, again, of a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. And unbelievably, Virgo is often seen with, with 12 stars above her in, in, in the shape of what's called a tiara. You guys know what a tiara is? It's like a, it's like a crown. It's a crown that was used especially for women, for a queen. And it was used um, all the way from Egypt, um, you know, in, in the south, southern west, or southwest of the Mediterranean, all the way over to Persia. This notion of a tiara. So there's a woman, and she's, she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. And so in the ancient world, if you were a pagan, you would have recognized these 12 stars as a crown, giving this woman a sense of royalty, a sense of, uh, of, of royal um, of blood, if you will. But of course, if you were Jewish, you would know that 12 stars were not only stars of a tiara, but what? The 12 stars that would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so this woman, who represents God's people in the heavens, is a royal person. In verse, verse 2, this is what I want to concentrate on this morning. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. And what's so beautiful is the comet would have risen pointing straight up into the night, into the pre-dawn morning. It would have seen this comet arising in the very womb of Virgo, realizing that a royal child was to be born, 12 stars, 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. Clearly, for these magi, there was one who was coming, a great splendor, a great ruler, who would be born of the people of Israel. And what's so amazing to me is, and this is this is something that if you if you get to know um, that, that sort of if you study the history of the Greco-Roman world, you realize that a number of the dates that we have, I'm just wondering like, how do we know that this happened on this particular date? A lot of the dates, are you ready for this? They're determined by the way in which often in the historical records there's a reference to some sort of astronomical event. Just some sort of, you know, the moon was like this, or the, the stars were like this. And, and, and astronomers are actually able to go back and calculate, depending on the number of cycles, when that actually would have occurred. And so that there's a relative, it's amazing the certainty with which we can often calculate when something happened due, to, again, to the predictability of the stars. And so most likely, it, was, it seems probably 6 BC, we're thinking mid-September, when there would have been this first glimpse of Virgo arising in the east, and they would have seen, again, this, this new occupant, if you will, the night sky, a bright comet, that would have, again, been interpreted as the birth of a ruler, looking like a baby in Virgo's womb. Um, and, and, what's, and what's especially important to see here is the way that this woman is, is expecting Verse 2 emphasizes she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. 
Now, if you know the if you know the, the story of Christmas, you know the way, in many ways, in which this is true. But most particularly, the people of God during that time, Mary specifically, was in the area when Mary and Joseph were in the area of Bethlehem. And when the Magi came, King Herod, you know, wanting to trick the Magi to find out to, to find out when and where the baby was born, asked this and hey, look, find out where the baby is, and that I too may come and worship. And the result, of course, is that they, the Magi are, are, are outsmarted by they're outsmarted and Herod by dream. They leave and go back a different way, and Herod has to resort to what is very true what we know of Herod the Great. He was a barbaric and brutal man. And so he sends, and he, he, he doesn't know exactly where it is, but he sends his death squad of soldiers to kill every child in the vicinity of Bethlehem who are two years and younger. Now imagine, imagine what that would have been like. Imagine just being in a rural setting have your, your little baby, think of someone like little Harrison, my son, eight months old, having the police come knocking at your door. Not even knocking, just pushed her, or just simply breaking down the door. Imagine a woman doing everything she can, holding that, that baby as tight as possible to her, to her reason. Doing everything you can with soldiers ripping her off, ripping her, ripping that baby apart, ripping you know, with her arms, grabbing that baby and dashing it to the ground. It's in the context of great suffering that Jesus Christ is born. It's in the context of the great suffering of his people. I mentioned the word life giving. That Jesus Christ comes in the midst of great sorrow and great suffering. In fact, if you ever want to meditate, especially as a family, or meditate on this event, John Piper has a beautiful number of years. John Piper, where every Advent season, he would write the poem. Um, and in one particular season, he writes the story about a man whose wife. Um, Man whose, whose wife and the two of them together had a child, and this child was 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 taken was was, was murdered. Of and so it's not from the scriptures, but it's imagining something from the scriptures, and it's so amazing because Jesus in this in this particular poem, Jesus comes and visits this man who is a widower uh, who lost a part of his lost a hand because he was fighting with the soldiers. And it's been years now, Jesus comes as an adult, and he visits this man, and the man recounts, the man is full of bitterness, he's full of anger, because of what has happened. And Jesus sits and he weeps with him. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem. But I want you to see the tragedy. She is pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. That the people of God are to be a people who undergo often very horrible suffering inexplicable suffering, seemingly unfair suffering, in order to give birth, in order to give life. Right now, if you are in the midst of struggle, of suffering, you don't know why. It's just so hard. 
You're ready to give up. You're ready to say, you know, none of this makes any sense whatsoever. You are home in the Christmas story. The Christmas story is right there for us. And what's so amazing is that it tells that story in the night sky of the ancient world. That to me is just mind-boggling. The ancient ancient would look like they would have seen something they had never seen before. They would have seen written in a language that was that, that was that was uh, univocal for the entire world, that all the world could understand. They would have seen in the night sky, in the pre-dawn moon, a sign that a ruler was to be born, and that the woman was undergoing the pains of great travail and great labor. And they would have had hope. And hence the Magi make their 500 plus mile visit, their 100 journey to Jerusalem. And what I want to, let me close with this. What I want to, what I want you to hear from the story of Matthew chapter 2 is a people of God who are completely caught off guard. And specifically, the ruler of God's people, Herod. Who, was, who himself was not even Jewish. He was a he was Judean. He was an imposter. He, he pretended. He pretended all the time and pronounced that he was the Messiah. That he was the, the great savior of God's people. He built the temple. He was in control of all the temple um, cult. Everything that all the all of this, the, the priests, etc., would have answered to him. But I want you to see here is the way. Listen, this is so important that it is it is the Gentiles. Who understand, who grasp the significance of the, of the birth of Jesus Christ. It is a bunch of Gentiles, persons from completely outside the people of God, who, who looking at the night sky grasp that something big is going on. And I want us to see that, that God places non-Christians in our life to point us to Christ. Often they can be the ones who see most clearly, most distinctly, oh my goodness, this changes everything. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I can become so complacent with Christianity. I can become so, it's just, it loses its beauty. It loses its wisdom. It loses its, its incredible sense of being so radical, of being so scandalous. And often it takes those non-Christian friendships to awaken us, to remind us of the goodness, the glory, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these three magis, however many wherever, these, these magi, they come and they they are they have made a journey. They have they have they have brought uh, precious gifts because they are absolutely persuaded that there is one who's coming to change the world forever. It's an astonishing thing. It makes us wonder this Christmas, why be the Christian is basically speaking. He's lost sight of a world that points to Christ. He's lost sight of the wonder of Christ's reign over sin, over death, over the evil one. He's lost sight of the beauty of sacrifice. Earlier I asked you to pray for God to give you the strength to make the sacrifice in your life. This morning I just want to ask you, is it as in your marriage? Is it as a parent? Is it as as an adult child? Is it as a a co-worker? I don't know. 
a neighbor, a friend, someone who's wronged you? Where is Christ calling you in to follow him into sacrifice, into sorrow, into struggle? Let me conclude with this. In Matthew 10, Jesus uses these very sobering words. He says this. They're very sobering, but very inviting as well. Whoever, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Gang, listen. At the end of the day, we are all losing our lives. The sands of time are sinking. We will give our life for something. For someone. The question is who? The question is what? Are you ready? Are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? Are you willing to enter into suffering? Are, you, are we willing as a church to be the people of God, to be the woman who is life-giving, giving her life in order to give life to others? This, 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 this uh, table here, this very simple table, the Lord's table, is a picture of what it means to lose our lives. Here we see victory through death. Here we see life given at great cost. So as we enter into this table, this is a table for us, as we enter into this, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking him to bless this meal. Heavenly Father, we this morning call upon you as one who is holy and gracious. Father, in your love, your, your incredible love, your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And Father, when we had fallen into sin, when we have become subjected, subjected to its slavery, subjected to the evil, the powers of darkness, and even to death, Father, you, in your abundant mercy, sent your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to share in our human nature, to become one of us, especially, Father, in this Advent season, and we recognize he came down, taking upon us every possible misery, every possible sorrow, to live and to die as one of us, Father, in order to reconcile us to you. Father, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself in full obedience to your will as a perfect sacrifice for the whole world. Father, in this table, this beautiful sacrament, it is his death that we now proclaim. And it is in his glorious name that we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters, if you have your bulletin, you'll see the Lord's Supper uh, um, um, uh, liturgy before you. Let's read these beautiful words together, words of thanksgiving. All things come from you, Lord, and we give you only what has come from your hand. Is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? He is. This is our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are His people. We are the redeemed, triumphant over sin, death, and evil. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us now give thanks and prayer. Father, how right and pleasing it is for us to give thanks and praise to you who alone are supreme over all things. You are not only the living God, you are to us a loving Father. 
our Savior, our provider, the giver of all good gifts. And we love you. But Father, we love you only because you have first loved us. Thrice holy Lord, God of might and mercy, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Amen. On the night that he was handed over to suffering and death, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he immediately gave him thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying these words, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the wine, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which has been shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Again, if you have your bulletin, therefore let us proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray, and as we do so, Ron, Ron's going to be there. He's going to be pointing to each of you, giving you an indication to come on up and receive the sacrament. Let's pray. To, let's, let's uh, excuse me, let me, let me uh, pray to, to consecrate the elements. Heavenly Father, we celebrate the wondrous reality of our redemption in this sacrament of praise and thanksgiving, recalling our Lord's death, his resurrection and ascension. Father, we offer you these gifts of bread and wine. Father, would you sanctify them by your Holy Spirit to be for your people gathered here the very body and blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending and abundant life in him. And Father, would you sanctify us as well, in order that we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity and constancy and in peace. And at the last day, Father, would you bring us, all of us, together with all of your saints, into the joy of your eternal kingdom. Amen. Brothers and sisters who may partake in this table, you must be a sinner, a grave sinner, a sinner worthy of crucifixion. You must be a sinner worthy of everlasting damnation. It is not your sin that keeps you from this table. It is your pretense of righteousness. You must be a sinner to participate in this table. You must be a forgiven sinner, one who's gone to the Father confessing their sin, owning their, owning their failures to him, and seeking his forgiveness, asking that the Lord would cover you by the death of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you must be a sinner, a forgiven, a reconciled sinner, but also a sinner who knows the body of Christ, who is in, who is a member of the body of Christ. The New Testament knows no lone ranger Christians. It knows those who belong to local bodies, local families of the people of God. So to participate in this table, you must be a sinner, a reconciled sinner, and a sinner, and a, and a sinner who's a member of the people of God. As fellow sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, let us now pray together. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so as to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. This is the feast of victory. The Lamb who was slain has begun to reign. Hallelujah. Draw near with faith. Christ is the host, and we are his guests.
the gifts of God for the people of God. Well, this morning again, Ron will be indicating which of you, when when to come on up here, when receiving the elements, simply eat the bread and partake of the wine or juice up here, or you can return to your chair if you like, and then eat it here. And we'll collect the glasses later. The wine is in the center of the tray, and the juice is on the outside. And I'll be over here if you'd like. I'll put my mask back on. I'd be happy to, to pray for you, especially those of you parents who want me to pray for your children. I'd be more than happy to do that. So, brothers and sisters, come and receive the sacrament.
everlasting God, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food and the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work that you have given us to do, to love and obey you as faithful servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, we honor and glory now and forever world without end. Amen.